0: What I want to talk about this morning is um, something called dreaming with God, and I'm not going to be talking about dreaming as in the dreams that you have at night time, I want to talk about the dreams that we have for our lives, Um, the dreams maybe for our family, the dreams for our finance, the dreams in terms of the impact we would like to have for God, maybe dreams around the emotions that we would like to feel, dreams about gifts that we would like to give or gifts that we would like to receive. And I've never actually spoken on a Sunday morning about this topic, which is really interesting because we launched an app two years ago, and we've got 1,300 people around the world who have had this app now, and many of you in the room will, and we do these dream journeys where we train people in how to connect to God and how to dream with God, and we had nearly 800 people on the last one, so it's a whole growth of what we're doing as a local church that we don't necessarily talk about very often, but you've got a card on your chair which is about Dream Revolution. And the app is really, with its ultimate goal is about intimacy and connection with God. And one of the tools in there is dreaming with God. So I came across the concept or the idea of dreaming with God about six years ago. I was in a conference and a speaker was there called Danny Silk. And many of you may have come across him. He does the Keep Your Love On material, one of the pastors of Bethel Church. And he said, I'm now gonna show you my dream list. And I thought, wow, that will be um, really spiritual dreams, it will be really church dreams. And so I said, he said, I'm now gonna show you my dream list. And on that dream list was a load of fun things. Like one of his dreams was, <laughs> I want to drive a particular sports car on a particular sports car track, NASCAR racing. I thought, wow, are you allowed to have dreams like that? Are you allowed to have sports car dreams? Another was to spend a night in the White House and sleep there. That's an interesting dream. Another one was, I want to give away a million dollars. Wow, that's an ambitious dream. (laughs) Other people on that list have things like, I want to give away a house. But the interesting thing was, there were spiritual dreams in there, but there were all these uh, other types of dreams as well. And I thought, do you know what? I've forgotten what it is to dream, I've become very narrow in what I feel I've got permission to dream for. So one of the things I did is I put a list together. It can be, like we said, legacy dreams, financial dreams, emotional dreams, ministry dreams. Put a list together. And one of my dreams on the list was I would like to go and see the film Jaws again at the cinema. And I saw Jaws when I was seven years old. And I kind of wanted to see it again at the cinema, but it hadn't been re-released at the cinema for about 35 years. So I put it on my list, I would like to go and see Jaws at the cinema. Four months later, at London Bridge Station, I see the Jaws poster. And I go, wow! And Rochelle says, what's wrong? I said, they're re-releasing Jaws again at the cinema. It's the first time for nearly, I think it's been 40 years, it's coming soon. Universal Cinema had decided they were going to re-release five films to celebrate a hundred years of their studio. And Jaws was one of the films they'd chosen to release and it was going to be at the cinema. And I kind of went on, you know these blogs where you have people who chat about things and there's a whole world of people who chat just about Jaws if you're interested. (laughs) There is a subculture of Jaws fans. And they were, on this blog, there's a whole American group saying, we don't understand why is Jaws only being shown in the UK? And I thought, I know why. <laughs> Thank you, God. It's because it And I truly believe this. It's because he saw that I would like to see this film yes. again. Amen. And he influenced Universal Studios <laughs> and they got re-released here. Yes. So he's that good and that attentive. You know, healthy... You know, in families, healthy children don't really need to be taught to dream, do they? Or taught to ask. You, They know what they want for their birthday and they're happy to tell you well in advance of what their dreams are and what they would like to do. <coughs> Where they would like to go. What they would like to experience. The job that they would like to do. <laughs> Children dream big, great, huge dreams, don't they? Not tiny dreams. Children find it really natural to imagine, to dream, to ask, to anticipate. Our daughter, is; she absolutely loves sewing and textiles. She's passionate about it. So she asked for a sewing machine and we put all the grandparents' money together and we went to Welling and she's got a sewing machine because she's dreaming of something. She's coming to mum and dad with an expectation that mum and dad want to make that happen. So mum and dad who've got no interest at all in <laughs> sewing and needle craft find themselves in a shop in Welling with her passionate about needle craft, sewing machines and what you need to see this dream come about. So children... Don't have any struggle with dreaming, imagining, and asking. I don't know what happens to adults. We, as we get older, maybe disappointment comes in, maybe discouragement comes in, maybe realism comes in, and our dreams become less and less and less. And maybe we only think about, how do I survive? And how do I get through? And the dream life kind of closes down. Dreaming with God is spiritual intensive care for the orphan heart. That's what this is, it's okay? It's a it's a it's a intensive care opportunity to reconnect to God and reconnect to the opportunity to ask and dream and imagine. When I heard about dreaming with God, it it, it struck something in me, that this is really important and this is something on the Father's heart for his people. I remember sitting and talking to God, but that feels so trivial. This is so luxurious and trivial. There's big things to do, missions to do, and big things to do in the world, and injustices to fight, and church to be built, and people to reach, and I thought, God, this is trivial. Surely this is trivial to have a, 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 a thing about dreaming. Isn't there more important things to do? And that was when he said to me, no, this is intensive care. This is spiritual intensive care for spiritual orphans. This is a mechanism, it's a, a method, it's a means to, to heal the heart from being an orphan heart to becoming a spiritual son. And a spiritual daughter who knows that God is good, who knows that God is attentive, who knows that God cares and personally loves them. And that heart gets healed as the person begins to learn to dream, ask, anticipate, imagine. See, before you became a Christian, if you, you, you were a spiritual orphan. But we live. Bill Johnson describes the planet Earth as an orphan planet. Orphan planet. A whole bunch of spiritual orphans running around, competing with one another. You know, being an orphan, a spiritual orphan, is not about whether you've got a. You might have a great family. You might have had a, a, a fantastic mum and fantastic dad, and you might have incredible. Aunties and uncles around you who supported you and encouraged you and championed you. Well, the Bible says we're born as spiritual orphans. We're disconnected from the most important relationship that we can have in the universe. And that is to be connected to the good father that Jesus came, yes, to deal with our sin and yes, to bring reconciliation and yes, to pay our debt and take our penalty. But he also said that when you see me, you've seen the Father. You've seen what the Father is like. (coughs) Me and the Father are exactly the same. When you hear me speak, you hear the Father speak. So Jesus came to an orphan planet to make a way for people who were spiritual orphans to be brought home So that they could then know the joys of spiritual adoption and intimacy and connection with God. If you know the story of Exodus and Israel coming out of Egypt. Many people have said Israel got out of Egypt but Egypt didn't get out of Israel. They were free. They had wealth, opportunity, land, promises. Prophetic calling. And yet, of that 1.5 million people who came out of Egypt to inherit, only two, Joshua and Caleb, (coughs) got to inherit. Mm -hmm. The rest died in the desert. And so they were out of Egypt, they were no longer slaves, but in their hearts they were still slaves to fear and slaves to small-minded poverty mindsets. See, the believer can be born again and come out of the kingdom of darkness and come out of, of, of sin and have a new heart and have a new mind and have a new nature and be part of a new community but still live with an orphan mindset that they brought when they came into the kingdom. Amen. And so that you can be in the kingdom of God but live with a poverty mindset, an orphan mindset. And dreaming with God is a tool to hammer that off. And to heal that heart. Orphans are always competing with one another because orphans believe fundamentally there's not enough. It's dog eat dog. If that person gets promoted, then I won't be promoted because um, it's me against that person, it's me against that person. Orphans are always working for their identity, orphans are always performing for their identity. Always striving for an identity that just doesn't feel in reach. If I achieve this, if I become that, if I have a title, then I will have an identity. And so orphans find themselves all the time performing. Orphans find themselves as perfectionists. Perfectionists carry a two-ton shield to hide themselves from blame and shame. To hide themselves from truly being seen, <clears throat> You've got to get it all right. Otherwise, I'm nothing. Orphans are always fighting for acceptance and belonging. And orphans only really focus on what is naturally possible through self-sufficiency. Orphans only focus on what I can do, what I can produce, what is in my capacity and so orphans live with this sense of independence and competition and performance it's one of the reasons why orphans struggle to dream anything that's bigger than their own capacity to do in their own ability and in their own strength orphans tend to think what can i do with the gifts that i have the talents that i have the abilities that i have with the resources that i have with the opportunities that I have. Orphans think very insular and isolated and individualistic. Orphans dream small dreams of what they can do in their own lifetime, of what's possible for them to do in the next 20 or 30 years on their own. Orphans live fearful of making mistakes, fearful of taking initiative and fearful of taking a risk. Orphans live with a A scarcity mindset. There's not enough time. There's not enough money. There's not enough opportunity. There's not enough food. Orphans tend to focus on lack rather than there's enough. You can find the orphan mindset in a Chinese eat as much as you want to buffet. Watch how people load their plates up. Orphans believe there's not enough chicken and there won't be enough rice and there won't be enough prawn crackers there won't be enough prawns and there won't be enough dessert and so the orphan mindset walks, you look at the plate and it's got everything it's got their start, their main their dessert and it's all on one plate because there might not be enough because when I come back it might have all gone because it's me against everybody else. It's me looking after myself, and there's not enough. So go to a Chinese buffet this afternoon and uh, go and uh, go and look for the orphan mindset. <laughs> Better eat now, because there might not be enough. There's you can hear that in stories where people have fostered children where there wasn't enough food and the child will eat fast and everything and have their hands around their plate because they've learned from history and experience there isn't enough. And God is bringing us into a, ki- he's us into a kingdom where we can have the confidence of knowing there is enough. But spiritual adoption brings us into a place where... There's enough resources, there's enough opportunities, there's enough possibilities that no son and no daughter in the kingdom is in competition with another son or another daughter. Because someone else getting a breakthrough and getting a blessing doesn't mean there's now less in the kingdom than there was before. It just means that now you've heard something about the kingdom that you can lay hold of because the testimony is the spirit of prophecy. I'm going to have that too. Yeah. Amen. Because Amen. that's a legal precedent now. Hmm. Yeah? I can have that too. Yes, Come on. I can have that healing in the night yes. that we heard about, that Grace yes. talked about. I can have that too. Amen. Because now that's, as it were, in our account... As a family, there's a testimony. Mm. We need to imagine a river. You're in, you're in the river and the river is flowing past you and you're in the middle of the river and there's all these things going past you. It could be, it could be jobs or resources or dreams or finances or, or gifts or ministries or emotions. They're all going past you. And you turn to face the river coming towards you. And you see that there's enough of everything. There's, well, there's an opportunity over here coming past, but that's not really an opportunity that I feel called to. I don't have to grab every opportunity and put it on my plate. Because I can let that one go past. And there's a, wow, there's, that one's going past, there's a dream there that's gone past, or a, or, a, or a calling that's gone past. And I can let things go past me, but like I said, no, that one's mine, I'm having that That one's mine, I'm having that. That calling is mine, I'm having that. And I'm letting tons of stuff pass me and other people are doing the same. And other people are calling across and saying, hey, that one was for you. (laughs) That one was for you. Jump on the bank and run down and get back in the river. That was for you. No, I couldn't do that. Yeah, you could. You could, I can see that all over you. Mm -hmm. So it's a community that encourages one another and I can let some things pass me by and I don't need to load my plate up. (laughs) I don't need, I can say, oh, this is a moment I'm getting my starter. I don't need to load up my dessert right now. There'll be plenty of dessert later on. I'm not in a hurry. God's not in a rush with me. And so, I remember when we were exploring this whole thing with dreaming with God, someone said, oh, this sounds a little like... um, a a wrong expression of the prosperity gospel where we're kind of spoiled brats and God's just giving us everything we want. I think this is more about an opportunity not to have everything we want, but to have an opportunity to connect to God in deep trust. The goal of this... The ultimate goal of this yeah. is not to be in the river so you write a list of these are things I want. But that's part of the journey of I'm learning to connect to a father who is actually interested in my passions and my dreams and my longings and my pursuits and my things I would love and things I'd love to be and do and have. I wanted to connect to a father who when I say I'm passionate about this I know that he, he is. It's about an opportunity for depth of connection and relationship. Yes. Because God brings us into a relationship because he is wonderfully and beautifully relational. Yes. Yes. That's who he is. The Trinity is a community yes. of honour to one another. And he brings us into a relationship with himself, which is about A journey of connection and trust. He wants us to know him as he really is. Someone once said that God's love language is relationship. He absolutely loves us. And like we said earlier on, in the natural, parents talk about what are your passions? What do you love? What do you want to achieve? Where do you see yourself? And parents are balancing, I want to resource that, I want to make that happen. I want, to, I want to not leave you spoiled, but I don't want you to have a poverty mindset either. I want you to have expectation and responsibility. And God brings us into a wonderful relationship that we see him as he really is. That he is generous and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. What Hebrews 11 is talking about. That dreaming with him unveils the father. It unveils the father. Amen. Parents, you know, when you you might go to you, you might go to your kids, I don't know, it might be an awards ceremony or a sport event. And Or their open evening. I guess that's the proudest moment I have is when you go to an open evening and the teacher says, I wanted to meet their parents. Because they're doing well and they're kind and they're they're generous and they can see they're loving and there's a gentleness. And so I wanted to meet the parents. There's a moment in that sense, wow, I'm you know, you're being glorified. Do you know what I mean? It's a, it's a proud moment. Amen. And when the world looks on at the believer and sees the believer experiencing the goodness and the kindness of God and looks on and says, who's your dad? What's going on with you? How do you love like that? Why are you like you are? Why do you cope the way that you cope? Who opened that up to you? Because I know you're not that good. (laughs) It unveils him. Let your light shine, Jesus said, that others might praise your Father in heaven. And so it's not this selfish kind of, bratish king's kids who get everything they want. We want to unveil him so that our the glory that he has placed in us shines out for the world to see. Amen. That they look on and Amen. say, I wanted to meet your dad. <laughs> I wanted to meet him. Yes. So intimacy with God. That intimacy is where I'm. I'm trusting him. I'm yielded to him. I'm surrendered to him. Creates this. Relational confidence where the Father invites us into an exchange, into interaction with him. That dreaming with him gets formed through relationship. Joy Barham says, the one person we did dream coaching with and the person who really connected us to all of this, says... People often say, how do I know that dream's from God? And she says, don't ask, is that dream from God? Ask, who have you been hanging out with? Mm. (laughs) Who are you connected to? So if we're in relationship with God, we can say, Papa, is that one mine? Or is it not? I'm going to let that pass me by on the river because I just feel that's not where we are right now. That's not important right now. Or that one is important right now because dreaming with him and relationship with him The way that we dream. That we fall in love ultimately with his dreams. That's what happens. It it might start as as just a little kid asking and and, and nagging, even, and and frustrated if the dreams aren't happening the way I want them to. And then as maturity comes, it's do you know what? I want your dreams. I'm really excited about what's on your heart. I'm loving your dreams too. What are you dreaming of, God? Yes. Bill Johnson says, if God isn't asking, answering your prayers, maybe just ask God what's on his heart mm. <laughs> and what does he want to do. Yeah. So it's a relationship that becomes this two-way stream. This is where it becomes really really exciting and and really a beautiful place because a lot of our lives as believers we we live in the idea that we're just soldiers waiting for orders just a soldier of god and i'm just waiting for instructions i'm just waiting for orders i'm just waiting for god to tell me what to do and then i'll get on with and do it I love the prophetic words where, yeah, Jesus is on a white horse and he's a champion and he's a king and he's raising up an army to change the world. That's a wonderful prophetic picture. But if that's all we ever, ever understand him as is he's just a king and just a champion who's going to give us instructions, then we've just got a soldier's mentality. And we're not just servants waiting for instructions. God's not looking for robots, so what this space is this, this connection this intimacy with God where we're not merely servants although we always we always are servants and we're not just merely soldiers waiting for instructions though we are called soldiers too but we're sons and daughters primarily that's our chief identity Abba Papa that's our chief identity yeah. as holy ones and saints and sons and daughters. Yes, on, so sons and daughters enjoy a two-way street with God. Where he invites us to share our heart. Hey, what do you love? What are you passionate about? What are you dreaming about? Let's talk, let's share. King David changed his world through something he loved. I think he loved the slingshot. Not just because he's a shepherd who needed to kill the lion and the bear. I think he probably had loads of fun practicing and practicing and practicing and practicing. It's one of his passions and one of his joys. And then one day, who is this Philistine who mocks the armies of God? I've got a history... Because I've been killing lions and bears and it will be the same with you. But it was the use of a secular weapon that brought a spiritual breakthrough. Mm. The thing that he loved. Sometimes we have this division. This is spiritual and this is secular. God, God loves the spiritual and he doesn't really like the secular. <sighs> what if in the kingdom there was no spiritual and there was no secular? You hear me that everything became spiritual. Amen. Mm. Mm. Hallelujah. Um, Hallelujah. Amen. My passion is I love cinema, I love films, trained in films, went to university to watch films. That's a good degree. <laughs> I put in extra time, I saw three films a week, on top of what the teachers asked me to watch. <laughs> I was disciplined. <laughs> I saw everything almost for three years. And he, what, what was that all about? Cinema and film and studying film shapes a huge part of so much of how I think and do and plan and strategize and preach and imagine. He took, he took a passion and he's, he's like David, he's using that passion in different ways like the app and, 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 and it's shaping so many things. He loves all that we are. <coughs> He loves this relationship that invites us to initiate. Yet yeah, there are times of clear instruction, do this, do it this way, come and learn this and do that. And there are times where he just says, what do you want to do? Times when you just do it because it's, it's a good idea and you're taking a risk. You're thinking, I'm not an orphan. I can take a risk. If this doesn't work out, it's Okay. Because my identity is not rooted in this working out. It's rooted in I'm called a son or a daughter. So identity brings you to a place of let's risk this. Let's have a go. But has God said? Well, I know it's in the broad spectrum of what he said. But no, no. He's given me a lot of freedom to take initiative. I'm not scared of missing out or making a mistake. I'm not scared that if I got it wrong, he won't back me up. Because we're in a relationship. And I just... Know this is something I want to do. Because we're connected. I've been around him. I know his heart. It's like the story of the teenager. Or the 20 odd year old. Who went to university. And he, he, he's, he's, he's gone away. And he rings mum and dad. And says mum and dad. Can I go out for pizza tonight? I don't know. Have you got studies? Have you got exams? Have you got deadlines? You make a choice. You understand what you need to do. You make a choice. You don't need me to tell you yes or no. That's partly maturity. So I remember when we started dreaming with God stuff and we started sending texts and emails out, I just thought, God, this message, I want to get it to the world. I want to get it to Europe. How do you get it to Europe? And a few things came together and it was do an app. Someone passed me their phone and says, I want this course that you run. Put it on my phone now. I said, we can't put it on your phone now because it, it doesn't work like that. It works as an email and a text. And suddenly I thought, no, it has to be an app. And, and we didn't pray for hours. Just just do it, let's explore it, let's launch it, let's see what will happen. And then two years later, there's 1,300 people have got it, 800 people nearly doing a course. And it's going to grow and we're going to impact nations. But it started off... In that particular area of, I've just got an idea. Let's just see where this runs and what happens. And some ideas go well and some ideas don't go so well. But you step out. So a relationship invites us to initiate, to do something, to see a need, to call on God maybe to say, I need faith or favour or resources. Or I'm just going to have a go and step out and do what I can do right now. To finish with, dreaming, though, does become grotesque if it's self-centred or self-promoting. In a family like us, it's, it's not about a family where everybody's kind of running around and just doing what they need to do individualistically. is that sense as well of loyalty to family vision, loyalty to the family, loyalty to the culture, loyalty to where we're all going together. There's an inter- there's relationship with different parts of the body that it's not just me and God me and God I'm getting dreams I'm initiating this I'm initiating that I'm doing what I want and it's maybe contrary to the culture or the values or the heartbeat of the place you're part of but it's that connection to one another I'm dreaming with God but where are we going as a family who am I connected to so dreams are not just about I'm going to be fulfilled and I'm going to do this It's about the grace that you carry flowing out to be grace to everyone around you. It's interconnected. He brings them out of isolation and being an orphan and he brings us into a family. But it does mean it's a family where there's incredible freedom for the family to dream So can you see these are these are wonderful things with huge balances to them? So as as you're a parent, you're listening to your children's dreams. And you're saying that dream of textiles is a legitimate dream because it's your dream. It's not that we say, no, no one in the family has ever done textiles or sewing before. We we're not (laughs) sewers. We do not do textile because we don't do that. We're a film family. <laughs> now uh, no, you, 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 or if Cle- so I want medical or doctoring or nursing. You don't say no. We're not medical people. We don't like blood. <laughs> so, wow, there's a new, there's a new dream. Someone wants to be medical. Someone's got a dream that's creative. Wow, there's two new aspects coming out. Of the uniqueness of their being fearfully and wonderfully made. And they're connected into a family. And that's what it is in a family of church. Things will open up here because of the uniqueness and the grace and the calling that's on you and your unique design, DNA, history, (laughs) story with God. And it won't just come out of a leadership team saying... This is all the family's ever going to be. It's all we're ever going to be. We're only this, we're only this. We don't have any other dreams. Don't anybody dream here. Because this is all we'll ever be. No, we, we, we will have things that emerge and break open that nobody in leadership ever dreamt of. Yeah. Because Jesus says that Ephesians 4 That's ministry right. are the equipment to supply empowering grace for the body to grow into maturity. Oh, wow. yeah. And so the grace we carry flows into the lives of the people around us. Like Joseph in the Bible, he has a particular nighttime dream that his brothers are going to bow down to him. He doesn't know how it's going to happen. <coughs> and then he finds all of his circumstances conspire. To kind of kill the dream, he gets accused, he gets sold into, uh, he becomes a slave, then he becomes a prisoner. But his emergence into his dream comes because he serves first, Pharaoh's dream. That's Joseph's breakthrough into the thing in the river coming to him comes because he lays his life down and interprets dreams with God's ability and serves Pharaoh he lifts Pharaoh up he gives Pharaoh strategies about the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine then Pharaoh lifts up Joseph so that Joseph can enter into his destiny and calling and the prophetic promises of God that's how you emerge into the dreams most often is through servanthood and laying your life down and serving other people. And then God somehow makes sure there's a door that cannot be shut, that will open for you. God Amen. will get you to where you want to be. Yes, oh, Amen. He will. That's so why Randy Clark, leading a church of 50 people, God audibly speaks to John Wimber and says, Randy Clark, you need him in the meeting. He comes into the meeting and the others are looking at Randy Clark thinking, who's this Randy Clark? You've got a church of 50 people, you're, you're nobody. Wimber says, no, God spoke to me audibly. Get Randy Clark into the room. Randy Clark then goes on to launch the revival that takes place in Toronto in 92, 93. And has subsequently, I think, kicked off around five renewals or revivals around the world. Because he looked like he was hidden, like Joseph in a prison cell. God spoke to John Wimber and got him where he needed him to be. Yes, come on. And God is not the butler of heaven. A, so this is where intimacy comes in. He's not the butler where we click our fingers at God and say, hey, Dad, this is what I want you to do and this is how I want you to do it and this is when I, I want you to do it by otherwise I'm going to be in a strop. That our asking is flavoured by surrender and yieldedness and trust. That that we don't need to control or dictate things to God. Not, God, this is what I can do and this is what I can imagine and this is how I imagine you doing it. And saying to God that I would make a better God than you. So it's avoiding frustration, it's avoiding entitlement, it's, being, it's avoiding judging God. Yeah. It's saying, okay, the river's coming past, and there's nothing in the river for me. You promise. when's it going to come? If, if you don't make it come soon, I'm getting out of the river and I'll go somewhere else and I'll go to someone else's river and as you bring it past me in the river, you've got a week. No, you've got five days. <laughs> avoid entitlement, avoid frustration. See, if we never dream and never ask and we're just soldiers and servants who just wait for instructions and wait for um, details, then our capacity to be frustrated never gets revealed because we never expected anything anyway. I'm just a servant, I'm just an orphan, I'm just a worm, I'm never going to achieve anything. But as you get lifted up into sonship, and you begin to have dreams and imagine, have expectations, then you have to navigate God's pace, God's place, God's timing, God's methodology, how he does things as the all-wise, all-knowing God. But that never gets dialed up until you're in a place where you're believing for anything. The frustrations that we carry don't become visible until we're believing for something and there seems to be something opposing it. Any dream that will positively affect the lives of individuals around us will come against resistance as we pursue it. Every dream worth pursuing will be resisted as we pursue it. It will be resisted maybe in mindsets and how we view God, ourselves, others and circumstances. It might be resisted in terms of resourcing, in terms of what we need to move it along, but there will be resistance because resistance produces faith and resistance produces us, produces in us the capacity to say, do you know what, I'm lacking nothing because I've been built up in faith. That the the faith that you need to inherit is built in you by how you cope with the resistance that got you there. And ultimately, there is no there. That everything is a relational journey with him. It's not, when I get to that mountain, everything will be sorted, because you'll get to the top of that mountain, and believe me, you'll see another range and another whole load of mountains. Because there's always more in the kingdom. It's from glory to glory, faith to faith. There's always more. You never get to a place where you think, wow, now I've arrived and I'm completely satisfied in this opportunity. Because our satisfaction ultimately is in a relationship and not in an opportunity. And that's why we can enjoy the journey with him. So in this place of trust, we get to live in the liberty of not limiting God. We get to discover that he won't be limited by our imagination. He wants to do more than we can ask or we can imagine. That means that what he wants to do, you can't currently imagine. Yeah. So it means that as life goes on, he's all the time bringing definition and shape and saying, Well, this is bigger than you imagined, isn't it? It's bigger than you imagined. I'm so grateful for the prayers that God did not answer. So I look back, I am so grateful that he ignored all my pleading, petitioning and asking and completely (coughs) ignored it because he had another plan that was bigger than I could ask or imagine. And at the time, I was so annoyed and frustrated and toddler-like, not just once, but years. (laughs) (laughs) And still am. Hence the reason why I prefer to spend more time worshipping and thanking him than praying. I'm not saying prayer is wrong. I'm talking about sometimes that petitioning, kind of asking kind of prayer. Which is not wrong because it's biblical. But I find in my season of life right now that my petitioning prayer very quickly becomes my whining prayer. And I quickly dissolve into, into toddler Jamie. So we all have different seasons and we have different times in our life. But I'm finding worship loving gratitude just connects me to how big he is that his plans and his timing is always better than anything we could come up with